You ever start a movie late at night after a long day with no intention of finishing it, but it pulls you in? Then you have to talk about it with your friends and family because it was so good or so bad? You, my friend, are not alone. Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast. What's up, guys? You're listening to the Midnight Watch Podcast, the podcast where we discuss the movies that we all love, secretly love, and love to hate. I'm your host, Jeremy, along with my brother, Josh, and we hope you're ready for this amazing episode we have. Here at the Midnight Watch, we like to break down movies that are at least 10 years old or older, and in case anyone was wondering, we definitely are big on spoilers. At the end of our review, we'll rate these movies in four categories. Number one, did it hit its mark when it was released? Number two, is it still relevant today? Uh, Number three, for personal enjoyment. And number four, is it a midnight watch? So, Jeremy, what ghoulish take of a movie are we reviewing today? This movie lives up to its name, confusing and amusing its audience since its original release in 1979. No matter how you die, the tall man will get you. Lock your doors and stay away from the windows as we review Phantasm. Boy! I don't even know what. What did you say, boy? What was it? <laughs> the scene for the movie where he's oh, at the end. He's boy. like, there you go. <laughs> okay. No, we'll just leave right. this in. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I totally missed that. That was a soft toss, too. I just freaking watched the movie today. <laughs> oh, that was boy. A, boy. That was such a great line from the movie. He only has like 15 lines in the movie, I swear. I don't even think he has that many. Yeah. I think he's, he's only- such a great character though i know for this uh we're talking about the tall man so this is phantasm directed by don coscarelli and uh this came out in 1979 on a budget of three thousand dollars it was an independent movie that he had made and shot only on the weekends actually he would he had to it's kind of cool he actually rented all of his film equipment on a friday night and then or friday and then he kept it until monday so only had to pay for two days instead of four days but they shot this movie on the weekend for over a year to film this entire movie. That's awesome. I think Tarantino did that. I don't, not necessarily on Reservoir Dogs, but I think he was working on a movie before Reservoir Dogs while he was kind of learning. That and I, I remember I remember him saying something about that too, where he would rent the equipment for a weekend at a time. Heck, he might have even been inspired by this um, situation here. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool because the director... Um, he'd done two movies before this, and he was the youngest director, I believe, to actually get a deal with a movie company. He was like 19 when he made the first movie, which is called like Jim. What's it called? I just I wrote it down and I can't remember where it is. Oh, Jim, the world's greatest came out in 1975. He was like 19. So he was 23 when he directed this movie, which is wow. pretty darn young. You do see that sometimes with other movies, but that's, that's pretty young. But I mean, since it's an independent film, that makes sense. But sure. This movie, yeah. There's a strong, there's a strong indie vibe. Yes, the this movie, you lose that vibe as the sequels go on, especially the second movie, which actually I like the second movie a lot. But, um, but anyways, this movie made over twelve million dollars once they finally distributed this film, and it's pretty cool. It came out at that peak moment of horror movies where you had Halloween came out the year before, 
And then um, you also had Dawn of the Dead came out in 1978. So those were like two big, uh, big horror movies. And then right. this movie came out and then started getting um, acclaim. And it was go- they put it out. They only had 500 copies of this movie. So they had to actually play it in certain theaters and then move it to other theaters and move it around. They didn't have like a wide release of this film. Oh, wow. But yeah, so word of mouth carried it. And then later, Alien came out in the same year. So it was kind of nestled in right with all of these big, um, now horror classics. And so sure, I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, this movie is starring the uh, the infamous Angus Scrim as the tall man. And then we've got Michael Baldwin, Reggie Bannister, Bill Thornbury, and Kathy Lester. And she is the lady in Lavender in this movie, which is kind of funny. I didn't know this before. I did a little bit of research but there's like a cult following for her character which is interesting it is because technically spoilers she's actually the tall man you know right so which that's kind of funny though in the entire series this is the only character that he morphs into so uh i guess we can start right off the bat with oh let's hit the synopsis first the yes so oh, fyi quick. oh yeah no go ahead no go ahead this movie makes no sense i mean it does but trying to explain it, it sounds like the most bonkers thing you've ever heard. And it sounds terrible. And, and in a matter of opinion, maybe it is terrible. Uh, but anyways, here's a quick rundown. So we have Mike, a young teenage boy who has just lost his parents, who is afraid to lose his brother also, follows said brother to a funeral where Mark, Mike, Mark, or Mike witnesses the tall man lifting a coffin on his own. Mike decides to investigate and discovers that the tall man, protected by his flying spheres, is shrinking dead bodies down to half their normal size and reanimating them as slaves. It is then up to Mike, his brother, and Reggie the Ice Cream Man to stop the tall man. So, I was like the most <laughs> stupid... Where'd you find this? I found this, this Is it IMDb? It's IMDb. This is not their official one. This was like one of their, uh, a person on there, like put this on as the synopsis right. of the film. And I was like, this is the best one, hands down. Totally. Uh, because whoever wrote this, no, I'm not making fun of you. I, but I am out of respect. No, we're not making fun of you. We're making fun of the movie. Like, that is the movie. That is literally it is totally the movie. The movie. And, it really is. Yeah. And so, like, just seeing this movie on paper. I don't think that he would have gotten the funding for this movie anyways. Cause then like, I mean, this movie is bonkers. So like the cool thing about this movie though, and the reason, the reason uh, I picked this movie to review is just because like this movie's actually creepy. Like you read that synopsis, you're like, this movie's going to be stupid. And then you watch the movie and this movie is actually legitimately creepy. It's got several, it's got a really interesting, specific creepy vibe to it that i haven't felt right. from other movies it's got a very unique creepy feel it feels like a nightmare um like right uh, that's it a is. very which we'll psych we will circle back around to that but that is very well put i would say yeah it does have a night nightmare kind of vibe to it and it makes sense because like the, the name itself phantasm means like an axe of illusion or something like that something that's potentially not real and the whole movie, the way they edited this together um, is nonsensical uh, in the case of that it it doesn't... There's so many parts that there's like fake outs and it doesn't make sense. And then at the end of this movie, since we're spoiling this movie like crazy, 
uh, one guy says, like, it was just a bad dream that you had. Like, none of this happened. Your brother actually died in a car accident. And the whole time that you're trying to keep your brother from, like, getting hurt or dying or something like that, that's just you emotionally reacting to that. And then, of course, they have the jump scare at the very end of the movie where the, the tall man gets him, pulls him into the mirror. Right. And um, I... Which, speaking speaking of jump scares, real quick. Yeah. I didn't find any of these jump scares to be that good. Like, they weren't bad, but they didn't... I didn't feel like they were very jumpy, if that makes sense. I agree. I feel like it was more unnerving. Oh, like, for sure. And like, and the way you said it's it's creepy and whatnot, I think that's definitely more of a vibe than just, oh, we're going along, and then bam, it gets you. Right. And that's kind of um, also is kind of like, I think why the first Halloween movie works so well, and that I don't remember... We'll review that movie another time, but that movie, though, um, there's not really any gore in the first movie, and then, so this movie is actually kind of funny. There is definitely gore in this movie, but there's not a high body count. There's got a couple of stabbing scenes, and then, of course, you have the infamous uh, silver spheres of the balls or whatever that fly right. around and drill into the people's heads, and that one scene, though, where the, the janitor gets it is, right. like, that's, that was a cool scene. Like, I was impressed right. by that, you know? And they actually tried, they were going to, they rated this movie X back in the day because it was bloody. Oh, that scene? Yeah, it was bloody. And then he fell down. And then if you notice, like he pees himself oh, after, yes, he's, I was gonna... after he's dead, which makes yes, sense. Super realistic. I was, that's, I put that in my notes because I was very impressed that that is, even in today's, in, in modern movies, you rarely see when somebody dies, generally their bowels and their bladder releases and that's like it's just it's really extra disturbing like when someone hangs themselves they generally uh piss themselves for sure and yeah it's very messy and gross and so when you see him laying on the ground just the bottom half and you see that bubbly yellow fluid yeah and then mike our hero like pulls back from it because he's right next to him because he just missed right. getting hit with the ball himself um, right yeah, it, but it's funny. I feel like he was more grossed out by the pee than he was the voluminous amounts of blood <laughs> spurting everywhere. I, I actually agree, and I. <laughs> <laughs> but there's parts in this movie though that are really cool uh, because then, like his older brother, when he finally convinces his older brother that this is happening, and the tall man's actually stealing dead, dead bodies and stuff, he and they start picking up all the guns, and his brother gives him this pep talk of like, "Don't point a gun at somebody unless you're going to shoot them." And you don't shoot somebody unless you're going to kill them. There's no warning shots. Warning shots are BS. And just like right. that whole sequence, which um, I thought was kind of cool, actually, because like I feel like they do a good job of these brothers trying to protect each other in the movie. Right. And I, I, I love I love Reggie Bannister's character. Reggie, the ice cream man. <laughs> Dude, I know. Okay, how about that bald guy ponytail? He's rock, he's rocking. They, uh, I, believe, I looked at. I saw this on the internet. They call it the skullet. <laughs> the skullet. <laughs> <laughs> he never loses it the entire series. No, it's so bad. Yeah, like I, I, uh, Trinity like half dared me to do that someday. Like if I could hide my hair like under a beanie, like for a couple months during the winter time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> pull that on the girls like let it grow out <laughs> i would i would love to be dressed up as reggie the ice cream man uh for a halloween one day and do the skullet because it's just it's so bad and he keeps yeah. it the entire series there's five movies out and 
I'm not gonna lie. I went down the rabbit trail or rabbit hole on this one. Um, I had seen the first movie years ago, and it creeped me out. Um, and then I didn't watch the rest of them. And so after I told you, what was that? A couple days ago, to that we should watch this one. I I rewatched this one, and I went. I just started watching all the other ones. So I've seen. I, I watched almost all the sequels. I actually didn't finish the last oh, wow. one because it was really bad. But um, but the I really like the second and third movie. But it's just um, it's kind of funny. They have ser- several parts in it that become staples of this series, and that's you've got the tall man, you've got right. Reggie with his uh, with his skullet look. Then that you've got the the Barracuda car, which was a yeah. freaking sweet ride. That that thing is amazing. That movie that's that car is in every movie, and then um, the they introduce. Reggie's special weapons in the next movie, which is a four-barrel shotgun that he sometimes uses wisely. So, yeah, this first movie, though, has a little bit of a different feel to it, though, than the rest of the movies. And I... So, I feel kind of conflicted in in how I feel about this movie. I feel like it's genius in one retrospect that the movie intentionally is confusing and there's like dream sequences built on top of dream sequences so you're just not sure what's what's what actually is what's really happening and what's not right but at the same time i feel like that's bad editing and yeah this movie this movie's super choppy for sure oh yeah and but the thing is though i feel like that's the director's style if you watch his other movies um, he has movies where he constantly is just flipping like a good example of that is John dies at the end. Did you see that one? I have seen most of that movie. Yes. So that movie, I don't think makes sense unless you've read the book cause it just jumps around so much. And I, I chopped that up to his editing style. And so in the phantasm series, I feel like it works because it's not supposed to make sense. Like they're constantly messing with gem- dimensions and like messing with the person's mind. Like, is this real? Is this not real? And that's what ad- gives the real horrific nightmare quality to it, where it's not, it's not a very linear story at all. I think the most linear one is the second movie, which had a lot of, um, a lot of producers involved in it. And so that's the biggest budget one. And so that's why the director didn't have as much free reign on that movie. Gotcha. But Anyways, um, yeah, so where were you when you first saw this movie, Josh? Uh, I was at work today, and <laughs> I had just finished working my first flight and I for the day, and I was on my first break, and I popped this one on the old iPad. Nice. So I've been, I've been familiar with this movie for a long time, and I had just never gotten around to watching it. So it was fun. Nice. Uh, yeah, the first time I saw it was, yeah, years ago. I think I already said that. But yeah, so what was your uh, what was your thoughts about this movie? Is there anything specifically that immediately you were like, I need to talk about this? Uh, well, I thought it was kind of funny right off the bat, and I don't know if this is uh, a character that is just very confident or just terrible acting. But the older brother Jody, uh, when he's walking around in the, the the mausoleum at the beginning, waiting for the funeral to start. And he's hearing all these weird, creepy noises. And that dude is just so chill. In fact, the entire movie, he is just... I won't say he doesn't have any emotion. It's just... He's just kind of like, oh, okay. He just shrugs it off. Like, whatever crazy thing's happening, he's just, like, rolling with it. Like, it's no big deal. Oh, so... Oh, dude, I I totally agree <laughs> with you. 
so there was that and then the other thing um good lord at the beginning there there's a symbol part and they are just wailing on this ride symbol and it's just super washy and clangy sounding and it, it comes in a few times which I that being said, I really enjoy the soundtrack because it's kind of minimalist. There's there's like a yeah. full drum kit for most of the percussion for the movie, and then it's just synthesizers and electric keyboards and uh, and a lot of organ. Which the organ works really well, especially with the funeral, uh, yeah, uh, cemetery kind of vibe going on. Um, but the uh, the other thing that really stood out to me, and I had to fact check this while I was watching because it, it sounded so much like him, but I really thought that melodically, the soundtrack, some of the major themes that come up in the movie, they totally sound like John Carpenter. And oh, really? I was, I for a second, I'm like, he had to have helped write the soundtrack for this, but he's, I, if he did, he's uncredited, but mm-hmm. not, not all of it because he's very synth heavy. And this stuff had a lot of this. The soundtrack had a lot of other um, instrumentation, like with electric keyboards and like uh, like a Rhodes piano kind of sound, or all the organs, which that's that I can recall. Not usually the direction that Carpenter goes, but um, yeah. But melodically, like I said, it just it totally had that Carpenter vibe, and I really enjoyed that. It lent itself really well to that to the kind of not just the creepy vibe, but there there's purpose behind it, and it was moving, and it was. Um, almost had a quasi adventurous kind of feel, like especially with with Mike, the the thirteen year old, because it's yeah. it's kind of a, I don't want to say this is a coming of age movie, but it's definitely, you know, being a young teenager trying to deal with some heavy life situations. Yeah, and it's it's pretty awesome. Like the I agree, the music was was made by Fred Myro and Malcolm Seagrave, which I'm not familiar with either one of the there's work. I mean, that I know of, but I, I agree. I love the soundtrack in this movie. I think that it works good because it's simplistic. It's very, they, they play the same themes a lot over and over, but I like that though, because a lot of the movie is Mike goes out, sees something crazy, comes back, tries to convince, they conv- ends up conv- convincing his brother, something bad happened. His brother leaves to deal with it, tells Mike not to follow, right. and then Mike follows, and then the same thing happens like four times right. before the end of the movie. And when they finally, but when that, Jody finally decides to let him, all right, let's work together on this. Right. And and surprise, then, surprise, it works out better. <laughs> well, actually, even then, he's like, wait here for until for a little bit, oh, right. and then like, and then the tall man comes and gets him, and then he like gets away from him. And then they defeat the tall man, but they don't really defeat sure. the tall man. But it also, but, I also feel a little bit suspicious that Jody kind of used Mike as bait at the very end of the movie. It's almost oh, like he, yeah. it's like he planned to do that giant rock slide onto that oh, open yeah. mine shaft that his little brother just led the quarry to, and he jumps across the mouth of the mine shaft. I mean, oh yeah, and that epic that washing machine sized boulder like just misses him. <laughs> it fits perfectly in in the in the hole yeah, too, pretty, and so. Pretty good planning yeah. on Jody's part, I must say. Oh, it was fantastic. Uh, the one thing I thought there there were several there's gosh there's several things I want to talk about in this movie. Um, I I like how dumb this movie is at different parts, and then I like how smart this movie is oh, in different yeah. parts too. Like the part two when he gets locked in his the uh, Mike the younger brother gets locked in his bedroom by Jody because Jody doesn't want him to get hurt anymore, and he has that because of the couple sequences earlier he's got a shotgun shell on him and so how he just like puts the 
the tack on the actual firing pin of the shotgun right. and then tapes it to the hammer and uses that to blow the door open. Right. I was like, that is so cool. Right. Like, the fact that I that entire sequence, somebody thought that up and, yeah. and it fits. It fits pretty well. It's a little outlandish, but it fits the, the general vibe of the movie. Right. I have no idea if that would actually work, but I was just like, that is so cool, though, that he was just... It shows that, like, Mike, the main character, is very smart. And right. he's, yeah, well, he's not dumb. Well, that being said, that is the most handy mechanic, best driver I've ever seen. And he's darn good in a gunfight. And he's freaking 13. <laughs> like, <laughs> what kind of stuff has this kid been through before all this? <laughs> right? For real. Oh, but I, I do love that part, though. So, you know, he goes to the mausoleum, he breaks in the little window, and he goes in under underneath to see what's going on, and and because he doesn't have proof yet that something weird's going on. Right. And so, then the tall man follows him, and he slams the door on the tall man's hand. I love that sequence, because, like, you're like, oh, he's safe. And then the camera just pulls back, right. there's no music, and then you just see the hand start moving. Right, that's yeah. pinched in the door. It's pinched to the door. And I just was like, that to me was freaking creepy. Right. Like that they didn't play that up as a jump scare or anything. No. And then, yeah. And I think, so that's why. I f- and I think that's why, even though I feel like the ones that the parts that are maybe supposed to be a jump scare aren't real scary, they fit really well. And it just kind of lends itself to that slow creepiness kind of thing. Like you said, just that, that pulling back of the shot. So you can see the hand right there. Uh, right. Was, is tasteful i don't know it was cool it was well done and especially in a low budget kind of way and and not because i think classically a lot of horror movies are just built on the jump scare it's like here it comes there's the next yeah. one oh, okay here comes the next one oh, and it's just over and over and over and um this was cool and especially at a time period where all of that stuff and slasher movies and all that really started becoming a thing that late 70s and early 80s right um yeah i was gonna say like this is a transition movie it's right in that spot of like you've got the 70s grindhouse flicks and then you've got all of the italian slasher movies that were getting really famous at that time then you've got george romero's films coming up and then right then is right at the beginning of john carpenter and then it turns into the 80s uh slasher films right. and then monster movies and all that so it's like a you can this movie actually does feel like an italian movie to me in certain parts of it um, it doesn't feel like an 80s movie. It's, I mean, technically it's 1979, so right. it's more of a 70s movie. But um, yeah, it's pretty cool though. And then um, I like that too. My, I laughed out loud though when he brings the, he cuts the finger or cuts the guy's fingers off, grabs the finger, and brings it home, and shows his brother as proof. Right. And you open the box, and I didn't expect the finger to actually be in there. I thought it was gonna like disappear or something right. like that. Be a mouse or something it, else or right and uh, because uh because i would keep mike uh being by himself having to deal with this right mystery man but yeah, <laughs> the way the brother's sees... just like okay all right <laughs> he just yeah i believe you <laughs> he's just he's just kind of not matter of fact but he's just like okay good enough for me you know yeah <laughs> like like he goes along with <laughs> yeah it's like it's not like he didn't want it it wasn't like he was trying to not believe him he was just like prove it okay you did that's all right <laughs> He never doubts Mike in this movie. He's just like, I'm going to need some information. Okay, that works for me. Right. And then let's strap up. <laughs> let's go. And get then this immediately guy. after that, yeah. And then I love how they just pull in Reggie, then who is not a main character in this movie, no. and he becomes 
becomes the main character in the rest of the series. I would say, I'd say he's more pop, more, more of a main character than Mike is actually. Wow. But, um, but dude, what a, but, what a that guy's gotta be the, one of the creepiest ice cream men in the history of ice cream men. I swear. <laughs> I, just, the way he looks for sure. He just, he looks like a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because I actually really like that actor. I think he's actually oh, yeah. comes across as a really genuine, sweet person. Yeah. But no, I agree. I don't know though if that's also just the style of the of the ice cream truck and the fact that it's an ice cream truck in a horror movie sounds like something bad's gonna happen. Right. And it really and they, it really doesn't as far no, as like how you could make ice cream trucks worse. But I just mean as a character, he's he'd be one pervy looking ice cream man. <laughs> Which is funny. Uh there's there's one part where um I, I I was gonna write it down, but there's like one line where he's like, "Yeah, then the ice cream you'll be you'll be slinging him like nobody's business or something like that." When he's talking about he wants Mike to help him with crowd control, right when they tried to they try to uh, kill the the fly that the finger turned into oh, or whatever, right, and he's right. talking about that business, and then of course he gets roped into that right then. Right. But um, yeah, in the second movie, that's literally like. T- two sentences you find out that reggie actually had an entire family like he had a wife and he had a daughter and then like yeah (laughs) and then yeah like they all die at the beginning of the second movie and and you don't even see him he just talks about him for two for like two sentences and then they drive around the corner and the house blows up and you're like well there goes reggie's family and then they don't talk about it the rest of the series got that out (laughs) of the way (laughs) right backstory and done and then he's a womanizer the rest of the series which is like really funny because he gets freaking knifed in this movie right. and you're like oh for no reason too you're just like reggie no don't go over and help that person right and well and then the, and then jody's like no leave him he's dead and then you're like what the heck you're just like <laughs> right he's didn't like, even get out didn't, here. Even, didn't even go up to him but you're assuming he's dead and you bounce but i guess that kind of plays oh into the the dream sequence like was it a dream okay before right. before we get too far there's a scene where Reggie pulls up to the house and he's got his acoustic guitar like stashed in the side yeah. of the apartment. He pulls it out and he goes up and Jody's, you know, playing that Strat. Is, is he playing a Strat? I can't remember. But he's playing electric guitar so. and, you know, drinking a beer and sing, playing this like kind of bluesy folk rock kind of song. And then, yeah. uh, and he's really playing. He's really playing, yeah. really singing. And then um, Reggie, you know, busts out the acoustic and then he starts totally you know pulling off these blues riff kind of leads and i'm like these guys are really playing and i think both of the actors were actual accomplished musicians reggie was in a band like during that at that time i I think oh go ahead i was saying i I totally believe it and i feel like it also lends itself to an indie movie or a low extremely low budget movie where as a director or whoever whoever's putting the movie together i mean you (laughs) you really want to find people that are a you know multiple tool player um somebody yes. who can do you know you, you're not you don't want to just get the good looking guy but you want that good looking guy that can sing and dance and juggle because there's that one scene where he's got a juggle and it's like you know i can't bring in an extra to just do that or you know, a stunt right. a stunt man or you know i don't have money to write you know a song that's and have these guys play it in the background well these guys fake it i mean right so i don't know if that well, was I- kind of intentional but it was a very cool touch to the film and it added a a, you know some realism to it anytime you see an artist or an actor rather you know actually singing or playing an instrument in the movie it's i'm always impressed by it and maybe that's just kind of because i'm a musician but i, thought I, I cool. agree i i agree because most of the time too 
like also like at the end when reggie's talking to mike he's like get your stuff we'll leave we'll leave before daybreak and then he pulls the guitar out and starts playing this little riff which and, that was hilarious because you just had this really heartfelt <laughs> it's okay buddy you're gonna be okay we're gonna let's get out of here for a little while change the scenery hang in there and then he starts playing this like peppy happy song da, 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 da. and he's just like what the heck dude <laughs> you just for company this kid who had a nightmare because his whole family's dead now and then you're playing this like happy love song hey, nothing keeps the ice cream man down nothing <laughs> yeah no he's um the thing that i thought was cool was, uh, bill thornberry though the guy who plays jody that was a song that he actually had had written and um he was working on while they were doing the movie and so they ended up i like to because that tied into the way that to close the interdimensional uh forks uh the doorways at the end because remember awesome. when he yeah he's got the little the like tuning, ti- or the, the tuning fork. tuning fork and then he figures it out and he hits the two poles at the end and that closes the door otherwise they were um right and i yeah, and i hope the door. And i hope you realize that was a portal to the planet tatooine where the jawas are because those are straight oh. up Jawas in the movie. And that's how we bring Star Wars into this movie. <laughs> into this movie. I actually didn't think about that. Yeah, I, I was actually, when I was going to write the synopsis, I was going to talk about the, the zombie Jawas. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, because somebody was like, they're evil Ewoks. And I was like, no, they're not Ewoks. They're freaking Jawas, yeah. like straight, straight up. Straight up Jawas. Um, yeah. Freakish, um, freakishly but, strong Jawas. But it's actually funny, though, that they created, they finished excuse me, they finished filming this movie beforehand and or in 1977 when before Star Wars came out. So they're actually, they, they didn't steal it at all. It was totally just happened to apparently, they th- it's not an original idea, let's face it. Sure. <laughs> On either side. Right. But, but the thing is though, oh, well, in the second movie though, they do actually show what their faces look like and they look like these little like scrunched up cabbage patch kids uh, or whatever that are like demonic looking so they don't look like jawas technically sure. but well no one technically um, knows what jawas look like just the red eyes just the eyes but um the one thing i thought was cool though is jj abrams is actually a big fan of phantasm oh yeah and so, i have a question about that continue yeah so anyways he um helped with the restoration uh funding the restoration for this movie because they it was just uh, in such bad they didn't have a good copy of this film right and it was really beat up. This movie's dark. And when I mean dark, I mean like it's hard to see certain parts of it because it takes place at night outside and the lighting is sometimes pretty bad. So um, they were able to clean that up, fix the audio in some parts, and um, restore this movie so you can actually buy it on um, a high-def high version of it. And it's cool. He actually he liked this movie so much that he named Captain Phasma of the new Star Wars movies uh, after the Phantasm movies. Ah, so that's a very cool little trivia tidbit. Uh, something I realized as soon as this movie starts, it says, you know, the, as far as production companies, it says bad robot in a very retro yeah. thing. And I'm like, Hey, that's what's his face is production company. So I was yeah. like, either this is a really old production company and he either took their name I was just confused by that, and I wanted to ask you. So, is that there because the version we watched is a remastered? Yes. Version. Yeah, that's that's why. Yeah, because his production company helped um, the director helped on um, actually find some of the footage and again get it cleaned up and get it uh, as best as it could be because it's it's a pretty beat up movie. Okay. So that's that's super cool because I noticed that immediately that that's you know J.J. Abrams. Uh, production yeah. company but it was but they also had redone the 
the logo and everything. So it looked like a, a late seventies, early eighties, uh, graphic, which was super cool. That'd be a sweet t-shirt. That would be. So one thing that I, <laughs> it's, it's a weird, I don't know if it's weird. It's just something that I really like, but there's a scene where, um, the, the tall man, Angus Scrim is he's walking like downtown wherever their little town is he's walking on the sidewalk up to where reggie has his ice cream truck parked and, and there's like steam or condensate whatever steam coming from the ice cream truck and uh the tall man's walking down the sidewalk and it's a slow motion and then angus scrim is such a long lanky guy and it's just this like like a greyhound walking in slow motion down the, the sidewalk and yes, I, I just think it's, I don't know. It's so in the Wes Anderson movie, the train movie, I just forgot the Darjeeling limited. There's a scene mm-hmm. where Adrian Brody is running in slow motion along the train platform. And Adrian Brody is another long lanky actor like Angus Grimshaw who in slow motion, I just, I don't know what it is. I love watching all those limbs moving, you know, like just like water. It's just super fluid. And so it, yeah. this scene of the tall man walking up the sidewalk reminded me of that Wes Anderson scene where Adrian Brody's running along the train platform in slow motion, kind of that same angle of shot. And I think he's supposed to look menacing as he's coming up the sidewalk, but that is just, yeah. anytime I see a tall, lanky guy getting filmed in slow motion, I'm just like, that's awesome. It's a cool, it's a cool shot. I was actually about to bring that up too. Uh, I think you said his name was Angus Scrimshaw. Yeah, I know I butchered it. Angus, Sh- uh, Angus Scrim. Sorry, Mr. Scrim. Angus, Angus Scrim. He's probably, who is, he's probably dead, but. Yeah, he passed away in 2016. Uh, um, yeah, rest in peace. Yeah, he apparently was a big, big fan favorite. Uh, very charming guy, very likable person and everybody loved him. And so apparently he's like super sweet actually. I'm so sure this character is very different from how he is in real life and the the first scene that they shot like mike was having a hard time not laughing at him when he was doing the serious face because he was just such a likable person and then when he's doing serious he went like all in oh yeah for these for this role and which has made him this is definitely his most famous role sure but that sequence when he's walking slow motion past the ice cream truck and you can see the cold air coming out of the the thing and he like pulls back from it and it's and he stops there for a second and then he moves on they they cut out the end sequence um the, this movie originally was three hours long and then oh they shot gosh. it they sent they showed it to test audiences and it did terrible so they cut it down dramatically and they lost most of that footage but then like i think it was like 95 or 96 something like that they found some of the footage and actually incorporated it into the the fourth movie so it's kind of cool you see this all this like deleted scenes from the first movie but it's like 20 years later. So you get to see the same actors and then there's a flashback and it's actually the same actors when they were younger. And it's it's really cool. That's a good use of uh, Uh, old footage. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't really like that movie, but um, I thought that was really cool that they actually tried to build a movie around that, the flashbacks. But anyways, the point of that scene though, is to show that the tall man doesn't like the cold because his, his home planet is hot. And so the end of the movie is they actually shoot his face with a fire extinguisher and he his, his head explodes. Mm. But they cut that out. I don't remember. How do they kill the tall man in this movie? Do they well, actually the, kill him? No, oh, yeah, with the, the mine shaft. He falls in. The mine shaft. Think, they give him the shaft. They give him the yeah. <laughs> Well done. Um, I, I forgot about that. He he dies in like every movie. But because they goes This movie... So the director intentionally 
has decided not to explain certain things and just let the fans try to figure out how does this how does this world work right and so they give you a little bit more backstory with each movie but there's not a lot like they intentionally keep it vague so the fans can because they never really explain like what's the tall man like what are his powers um is he like a is he a clone because there's more than one of them because he keeps coming back anyways uh it's kind of like with the so one thing i wanted to man i'm just rambling on right now i'm gonna back it up real quick one thing i wanted to say though is the sequels reminded me of the sequels to the nightmare on elm street where they slowly build on the lore for freddy krueger and i actually i did like the second and third one i thought they were cheesy like the sequels to the original nightmare on elm street where the first movie's a classic and then the rest of them kind of get significantly worse as they go along right but yeah this one was kind of the same way but the tall man was definitely pretty scary actually just for being a tall brooding guy right it's actually pretty scary it's a it's a good use of you know they didn't have to do a bunch of makeup or create you know creating some kind of elaborate costume or something they just had kind of like a a, uh not christopher lloyd christopher uh christopher lee christopher lee it's very much like him and just that he's such an imposing terrifying figure of a man you know and it, it worked really well yes i totally agree um let's see one thing I think that's about it, actually, what I was wanting to talk about this movie. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Um, I, you already, t- you mentioned the, that Cuda, the, the Plymouth Barracuda. It, that is such a cool car. And I like a lot of cars in the 70s, well, 60s too, but 70s and 80s. Um, these cars just played a big part in the movie without, uh, you know, it's not like the car was a star or nothing, but there's so many sweet parts where they're just burning out in this car. And just hauling around and just stomping at it and you know spinning the tires and it's such a huge powerful car and you just you don't necessarily see that in a lot of newer movies unless it's about that car or something if it's a you know an exotic or something or a muscle car you know to be specific but this wasn't like an uncommon car I mean it was you know at the time so yeah no I agree and it does become a significant part of the the story well not significantly that's the car that they drive through the whole series sure. So, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And like I said, that they actually, Mike, Mike is a heck of a driver, especially driving a car with that much horsepower. So, uh, good job. Well, it's good funny job, that the actual actor learned how to drive a car with that car. He was like 14 when he learned how to drive. Oh, wow. That's cool. So, apparently he had like a heck of a time, a lot of, lot of fun making this movie. And you think about it, it's, it must have been a, so much fun to film, oh, this, yeah. to film this movie. Yeah. Shooting guns, right, driving cars. Like oh, all kinds of stuff. I do have one other thing that I want to talk about real quick before we wrap it up. So there's the scene where that the the finger has turned into some kind of killer bug, and they wrap it up in the jacket, and it's they're like flinging themselves around holding this jacket <laughs> with supposedly this powerful whatever alien bug in it, and yeah. it's it's great practical effects. It's it's super fun how corny it is, and it totally reminds me of. Maybe the most famous scene that's similar to that, but Evil Dead 2, where Bruce Campbell is fighting his own hand, which is attached to his body, and flinging himself around. So it's not as good as the Bruce Campbell one, which I think you can only attribute that to the genius of Bruce Campbell (laughs) and his his acting abilities doing that. But it was super fun, and it just reminded me of that, because that came out, you know, what, a year or two after this? Yeah, 1981, yeah, two years after this movie. So another, you know, great low-budget film. 
So, anyways, that was fun and reminded me of of that. So, any uh, and it's kind of oh sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's kind of funny too. Uh, Roger Avery actually wrote a script in the mid '90s, to, uh, wanting Bruce Campbell to come in and be a main character for uh, a Phantasm movie that was going to be called Phantasm 1999, and it's going to be set in the future where the tall man had already kind of taken over the world. Oh wow! And I didn't know if I don't know if it was supposed to be a tie-in. Excuse me, like a tie-in to the Evil Dead series or what, but. They had talked about it. The Don, uh, I can never remember his name. Don Coscarelli. Oh, sorry, but um, he, of course, he did the movie Bubba Hotep with Bruce Campbell, right. and so like they had a they had this is before they did that movie together. Uh-huh. But um, he wanted to do, to do it, but then the, of course they never made it. So right. that would have been pretty fun though. That would have been a cool tie-in, but yeah, Bubba Hotep also great. Yes, Love that I, I want to watch the movie again. We should review that movie too. I agree. I think that'll be fun. Okay, any uh, so, any final thoughts you have? No, that's uh, I think that's about it. Yeah, I think the it was a this movie had kind of a cool moral to it um, about overcoming fear and also yeah. dealing with you know losing the people you love um, and and what that's like and especially looking at it from you know a, a child or a young person's perspective and how big and scary that can be. So I thought, I thought it had an interesting you know a cool kind of moral to it. Yes, I do. So I agree. Well, Jeremy, do you think the movie hit the mark back in '79? I do. I think it's one of those um, awesome independent films that actually made it big, and it's now it's a cult classic in in horror movies. If you like horror movies, you like you said you'd heard of this movie for a long time, even if you hadn't seen it. You you recognized uh, the name and right. the silver spheres and the tall man and all that stuff. So yeah, it's a classic staple, I would say, in horror movies, especially for the the more of the cosmic horror type of movies, more of a Lovecraftian type of. Movie. It's not that it doesn't fit in any genre, right? But well, it has a sci-fi. That's, it has kind of a sci-fi vibe to it for sure. When you when you take oh yeah take into account the the interplanetary deviousness of the tall man. Right. Uh, it's got fantasy elements yeah. to it, all that stuff. Yeah. What about you? Uh, think you hit it? I think so. Um, oh, I gave it an A. Give it an I, gave a. It an a. I gave it a B, but I can't even really say why because, you know, it did pretty well. And it was, um, like you said, it's it's a cult classic. I think it, you know, it obviously spawned a whole bunch of sequels and, um, yeah, in the horror genre, it's a it's a respected classic for sure. So, would you uh, would you say it's relevant now? It's a little bit of a tricky question. To... Uh, that is a good question, actually. Well, I don't. I did. Wow, you did. I did not expect that question. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. No. I see. That's that's a tough one. It's a cult classic. I want to say it influenced a lot of directors and a lot of people in horror movies. So it's. It is relevant in the sense of in movie making history, it is relevant. Right. Um, and then, of course, dealing with something as scary as as death is. So I'm gonna give it a. This is a tough one. Um. I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna give it a B for being. Nah, I'll give it a C for being relevant. What about you? I agree. I give it a C. Uh, I think it's held up not as like a a top cult classic, but it's right there. Uh, yeah. I think, considering the kind of movie it was, um, I think a C is a fair rating. This, you know, yeah. this many years later, and and like you said, for the, the historical, benchmark that it was, and the inspiration that it's been to, you know, generations after the fact. So yeah, I think a C is, is good. 
And uh, how about personal enjoyment? Would you give this one? Personal enjoyment. I give this one. I probably give it a C as well. Um, I I liked it. I actually like the second movie better, to tell you the truth. Uh, just just for personal enjoyment. Sure. Um, and I think partly it's because it's actually more linear. It has more of a linear story. It's not as mind trippy so um yeah i give it a c though it's a solid flick uh what about you same uh, it's, it's just a fun kind of indie movie indie movies are um i most of the time my favorite i i love a good indie flick i love seeing people you know take little or no budget and be creative with it it's definitely was that so yeah i give it a c it's not one yes. that i watch all the time but um you mean it's not a midnight watch? Well, leading into that, uh, I have to say <laughs> no. Uh, not a midnight watch for me. How about you? No, I don't think so. Yeah, there's certain parts of this movie that I would enjoy watching over again, but for the most part, it's it. Most of this movie is is, uh, it's a solid film, Josh. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's uh, it's solid. It's I can see myself having not watched it in a while, and maybe it was on, and be like, "Oh yeah, Phantasm," and watch it for a little bit. But uh, yeah, yeah. But hey, yeah, anybody, well, anybody out there, if it is a midnight watch for you, we'd love to hear from you. Oh yeah, that'd be great. No, this movie definitely has lots and lots of fans with a ph. Get it, fans. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not my joke that's the internet's joke uh, so anyways the, i think that about does it for this episode though so yeah if you want to check out this movie i actually watched it on tubby did you watch it on tubby i did okay i think it's also on amazon prime for some reason the second movie you have to pay for but i think the rest of the movies are, are free out there somewhere that's cool or it's on on prime yeah but um i had not watched anything on tubby before and it the the commercials weren't too bad it didn't really break up the flow of the movie yeah, it's not like uh, crackle. Crackle's, I think where there's like terrible. It's like every ten minutes. Every ten minutes, yeah, yeah. it's god awful. Anyways, it's it's horrible. Yeah, Tubby's really not that bad. I think there's like maybe seven or eight commercials in a in a movie. At least they're unedited movies, so it's like you're watching it on TV or something like that. Right. But yes, so th- special thanks to our sound producer Jake Colvin. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you shared it with your friends, family, or anybody that you think would like it. Yes. Yes, and please hit that old subscribe button for us. Give us a five-star rating if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. We, we love those positive reviews. And uh, if you would like to contact us, please hit us up at themidnightwatchpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. Thank you guys so much for listening. You have an amazing week. And as always, keep up the watch. <laughs>